Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is Tell Me About It with Scroobius Pip and Stuart Whiffin. I am Scroobius Pip, and I'm sat here with... Stuart Whiffin. I'm already loving the fact that good morning, good afternoon, or good evening feels normal already and it's only the second time i've heard it <laughs> oh man i can write a catchphrase i tell you i've not had to come up with one for i've been doing the same podcast for 10 years now i've been dead lazy <laughs> you start a new podcast every other exactly, month so you yes. must be knackered <laughs> all i'm ever doing is trying to think of intros for new podcasts <laughs> Well, if this is your first time tuning in, you've missed episode one where we talked about mm. my school days, but that might not be of interest to I think it was an interesting one. It's got yeah, a good feedback, great feedback on that. Yeah. So, but this one's all about Dan Lassac. And this was one of the first subjects I wrote down. It's in fact, if you, you you can see my notes on my phone yeah. now, it was the first subject I wrote down because yeah. the dude's a key part of my life, but in really interesting ways. Because as we'll get into... I knew him prior to any music endeavours of either of us, really. Not necessarily friends at all points along yeah. our, <laughs> our relationship. But man, that dude changed my life completely. So it felt like a natural... It had to be in the first season. Yeah. Because it's key. Because he will come up in so many other episodes now. Because like, we've got like episodes to come up are playing live obviously i did loads of that with dan yeah and divorce obviously my mum left my dad for dan yeah um that's not that's not how the divorce <laughs> song goes um but yeah he will he'll come up plenty more so it felt like a natural place to go and this was fun for me as well because you knew dan as well of course yeah So you knew dan maybe either before i did or at the same time he was probably on the peripheral of our friendship groups yeah. around the same time. So it's not like he was really in your friendship group. He wasn't in mine at that time. Yeah. But we were all aware of him. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I would admit <laughs> that him when he sound was weird now. probably 16. So I was really yeah. looking forward to this one because I imagine like, you know, I never knew Dan in the sort of working capacity. So mm. it was it was always just, you know, he was the lad guy in the club. Yeah. Or like, you know, he was always about, you know, and in the sort of the gangs of people that would, would sort of, you know, all sort of turn up to this this tiny little club in Basildon. So it was really nice to sort of get a, a further insight into what it was like being, like you know, because it's intense for anybody to be in a, a tour bus, you know, in, in, yeah. in with the same a duo. Person. Yeah. Like not even any more than that. It's, it's a not duo, like you've got so. anyone you can go and slag him off to. No, like, exactly. It's just you two. Like. But that's it. It's, it's a good thing you kind of highlight there is the stages of our relationship because there's, as we'll get into, I don't want to, I'm not giving anything away, yeah. but started off as, as said, just someone, friend of a friend, I guess was at my college, maybe there was a year or two above me. There was certainly a period where he was a love rival. There was a period where he was a work colleague in retail. Mm. And then there was this whole touring period. And then it was post that yeah. there's, there's been post me and Dan. So yeah. When you said love, I was really hoping you was going to say rat. I just thought, I love, love the thought rat. that Dan Lassac was a nineties love rat. <laughs> love rat. Well, let's get into to talking for a good hour or so about Mr. Dan Lassac. <laughs> 
when did you first meet Dan Lassac? Now, that's an interesting one, because when did I first meet Dan Lassac, or when did I first meet Daniel Stevens? Or when I was first exposed to Daniel Stevens? We've which... all been exposed to Daniel Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> that's the really funny thing, is Dan was a year or two above me at college. I think he went to Palmer's. I'm not sure. No, he did. Yeah, he did. did he? Yeah. I didn't particularly n- know him in them days. He had f- fucking really cool sideburns, big pointy hair. Mm. Huge trousers, I remember, which at that point was cool. In the college days of of Palmer's and the amphitheatre and all that. See, I never really felt I knew him in the college days, but as we've alluded to, he used to get his dick out at your club nights quite regularly. Not just my club nights, just... Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. And again, it sounds worse in the the Me Too era and the the current times, but it would be. He'd be drunk and people would encourage it. Get your dick out, Dan. And he'd get his dick out. So I I knew him at that point as the lad who gets his dick at the bullseye. Yeah. So yeah, that was my first exposure to him in that respect. But then we worked together at HMV, and again, also an, another time. I think he was an older, older, cooler kid in in my mind. Dan's quite edgy. As- he, he can come across as as I've mentioned before. Like you know, I, I had friends that that were not fans of Dan. I've yeah. had friends that have punched Dan. Yeah. But as mentioned on multiple podcasts, I've always got on really well with him. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think he can, to to a, a lot of people, certainly back then, come across as very overconfident. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed confident. He seemed edgy and confrontational kind mm. of thing. But again, I quite like that. I, but but equally, that kind of thing, as you say, will rub people up the wrong way. Yeah. So I remember in HMV, there were people he didn't like. There was people who didn't like him. My main memory is that when he was leaving HMV, I was the one who sorted out the whip round and and picked his present and all this kind of thing. Because again, it's not even that we were that close, but I was like, I think he's fucking cool. He does music and stuff. Like, even at that point, he did you, music. Oh, you knew he'd done music then. Yeah, <clears throat> he did music and he felt like, it, it felt like he knew what he was doing. Again, Dan has always talked on any subject he talks on with great confidence. Sure. Whether it's a subject he's an expert on or not. Again, most things he is an expert on. He's an incredibly intelligent lad. Coming from where we come from, we all have to blag it a bit. 100%. Like we spoke about that in the school days once. Uh, So yeah, I think that was it. I was like, I like him. I think he's funny. I think anything he said that people have got offended by, I found quite funny. (laughs) I've not found offensive. So yeah, I liked him. I thought he was a, a... a cool lad. And when he was leaving HMV, was that to move to Reading? Yeah. Yeah, okay. he was moving to Reading to go to college, or uni, sorry, I sure. assume. And so Reading to, to Stamford, where you was, to give that some sort of context as well, that's a good couple of hours drive, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. By all expectations, that was the end of our interactions. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like We weren't close enough to be, oh, we're going to be friends forever kind of thing. Yeah. So was you already writing sort of... Poetry, unstructured verse, what's you know, spoken word. You've done any spoken word at this point? I was writing diss tracks. What's that mean? <laughs> just just offensive raps about people. Oh, diss raps, sorry. Diss I raps, said yeah. diss tracks. I no. thought, what's that? Um, so me, 76, mm-hmm. Mutt 3000, mm-hmm. and sometimes Dan would just write stuff on the teals at HMV, yeah. just being dicks. Like, So we'd pick a member of staff or each other. Again, mm-hmm. it was no, there was no, no one was... I was off bounds and we'd write just offensive raps about them or, or yeah, just diss raps. And we were going to be like, we were like, oh, we're going to call ourselves the ridiculous MCs. Mm. And Dan was 
was going to be part of that. He was like, I'll make the beats and all this. And it was all just absolute nonsense. Have like, you heard anything you've done at that point? I must have heard bits, yeah. I don't know where I would have. I guess he would have bought a, a CD or something. Mm. In. It, it might just be more just aware that he's doing it. Mm. And again, that illusion, that 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 mystique of mm. someone who knows how to do stuff. So yeah, obviously a ridiculous MCs never came to anything. Although a 76 ended up becoming a, a, a wicked producer. Mm. Weirdly out of the th- me, Mutt and 76, Mutt was the one who bought like a keyboard mm-hmm. for a, a looping and sampling, all that kind of thing. I left it under his bed and... And I never took it out of the box. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess I was the one that kind of kept writing there and got more serious on it. And yeah, at some point, Dan had left and I started working on, on no commercial breaks. Okay. So other HMV people, again, it's mad. It's like we could do a whole episode on HMV. It's mad yeah. how important HMV was because. Two other people I worked with at HMV, Ross Lawson and Alan Shortis. Alan was a really good drummer in loads of bands. Um, I think one of the bands he was in beat up your mate Cunt at a gig for. <laughs> no, was it Cunt or one of your, your other mates' bands who did? It was one of your comedy bands' mates, and they got in a fight in uh, at a gig at, 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 at Rayleigh. Oh, was it Justin? Of yeah. course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> it was Justin. That's it. I remember he, he, hearing him tell that story on yeah. one thing. I was like. I think that was my mates who did that. <laughs> but yes, so Alan was in a band that were really influenced by Tool. So yeah. it was all quite technical and yeah. all quite really like they're all real musos. And Ross was just a multi-instrumentalist. Mm. He, was, he ran the, the jazz and world music section yes, he and he played sax, guitar, keys, bass, a bit of drums. He played everything. So when I was writing No Commercial breaks i kind of wrote most of the tracks on just i had some cdjs and a a recording desk so i'd loop samples build the tracks and do the demos and then when we got studio time i got those guys to come in the studio with me and replay everything and hopefully change it enough to not get done for sample infringement thankfully i only ever made a a thousand copies so it's not like any infringement had would make anyone rich but um so yeah i'd made that and then when i I was quitting my job after recording it to go to do a thing I called the, the Relying on the Kindness of Strangers tour. And the idea was I get in a van, I had a little a Toyota Space Cruiser. Chris came with me for loads of it. Mm-hmm. And the idea was I'm going to tour around the country and just turn up and play on st- street corners, try and find open mics. But I sent a few of the flyers out to anyone I knew in places. So my mate Alex was at uni in, in Norwich, so I sent her some to kind of leave about. Because the, like the flyer I made said, if you've got a night, if you've got anything, or if you can help in any way, just hit me up on my MySpace. Bang. I sent one to Dan, and he hit me up going, I'm I'm running a night, or I'm, I'm, I'm putting on a gig with Nathan Fake and Vincent Oliver and all these, these really good artists. He's like, do you want to... I think I essentially opened. I was on very early. In Reading. In Reading at the Fez Club. Yeah. And yeah, so I toured, so, I toured about a bit and then I got back there and that's where we kind of re-met. And what was the live show for Pip at that point? What was the kind of setup? Oh, mate, it was too much. Um, so it was me with, I had options. So the bare minimum is me on a street corner, either with the beats I had made on a tape yeah. in, in a ghetto blaster mm-hmm. or a little battery... P- Powered amp and a, a loop pedal. So right. I beatbox into a loop pedal, build up the track, and then rap over the top. Okay. A lot of the early demos were all, all made like that. So I'd kind of written them as just 
beatboxing loops and then I go over the top. And this was a real basic one. It wasn't like you see yeah. Blind Boy or Ed Sheeran or whoever else with where you can sure. b- b- bring things in and out. It's you press it, you stop it. It's looping that. At any point you press it again, you can add to it, but mm-hmm. it's looping. So that was the bare minimum. The full show was having a, a, a CD player. I had a projector with slides, a proper old slide yeah. projector. So I had particular slides for each song. I like when I wrapped the periodic table, the periodic table. No, I, I had a fold-out periodic table, actually. Yeah. So I had that. So it was quite... I planned it all out. I put in a lot of work to kind of go, because my initial plan was I want to go in my van and go up north and make them think I must be big down south because I had had my look, I had my suit and my tracker cap and my big beard. I was beatboxing in my in my loop pedal. A few of the songs I was beatboxing and playing harmonica in the loop pedal and then rapping over the top. I had a slide, a projection show, all these things to kind of feel like, oh, this is a, a full show. So the first one I ever did indoors with the projection, I think, was for Dan at the Fez right. in Reading. So that was my first ever actual gig. Everything other than that was like in Derby at one point. I was just performing on a table outside a pub and they came in and said, get off our table, but, but like we've got a house band on tonight. If if you want to come and, and do something with them, you can. So none of them were proper gigs. And that was the first one that, yeah. Felt like a proper gig. Yeah, that I'd been... That Dan had asked me to do. I was on the on the lineup. I'd been booked, and then when Dan did his set, what was Dan doing? He was doing like like he did with me and Dan. It's like live off his laptop, mm-hmm. probably some sample triggers, all this kind of thing, a keyboard. So it's a DJ set as such, but mm. far more live and yeah. and uh, improvised. Yeah, I loved it. It, bl- it, bl- it, bl- it blew me away. And then halfway through, he dropped a remix of, 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 of one of my tracks. And then he dropped a few of them in this. Did you know so I'd sent him the CD. I didn't. I'd, I'd sent him the CD and it, yeah, he'd cut some bits up and put them in there and it blew me away. It was like, this is amazing. And that's why we started our MySpace page because it was just to hold his remixes, essentially. Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pit was n- n- never planned out as a band, as an act. It was just, oh, your remixes are dope. We've both got our own MySpace pages. And I think we maybe had put, had put one up on each, and they were by far more popular than anything else that we yeah. had on our pages. So, yeah, we did a bespoke one of me and Dan. So there was no there was no actual conversation ahead of that about collaborative work. No, he he just done a remix for the, you. There never was any conversation about a collaborative work for a long time. It was just oh, we're doing a, a bit of a side thing, but we're both doing our solo stuff still. We both see ourselves as solo artists. And then it just all, yeah, it grew and grew and grew. Well, I, I don't want to sort of fast track too much on that because I, I, I want to know how how it started to grow. Did was there a conversation about look, I've got these beats, you've got these lyrics, you know, sh- should we start doing some more stuff together? Even more organic th- th- than that, really. He okay. he gave me his album Lesax Say Yeah, and there was a track on that. I was like, oh, I love this, and I had a song called called At All. And he had this particular tra- tra- trap was called a, a rapper's battle, and I I rapped at all over it. Again, he hadn't asked me to. I was just like, oh, this fits perfectly, and that became r- a rapper's B. No, his I can't remember which one it was. No, his was called Rapper's B, and mine was called At All. And we had a song called a Rapper's Battle because we just sure. I put them together. And the first one that we did a collaboration really was Thou Shout. He sent me the beat, and I was like, "All right, 
I've I've got an idea for this. So tell me what you thought then, other than I've got an idea, or, or was it just as simple as I've got an idea for this? That the, the first time you heard the music to that was shot. I'd been doing that spoken word piece at spoken word gigs because it was really handy as to personalise because because you can add a commandment at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. The uh, that should not attend an open mic and leave as soon as you've done your shitty little poem or song, you self-righteous prick, came because I went after a guy at an open mic who'd been waiting the whole time, did a fucking shit translation. It wasn't even his, like he'd translated it from Latin and then he l- literally came off the stage and walked out. It was a gig at the Poetry Cafe. Was it N- New Blood? It was by a guy called Niall O'Sullivan who did amazing and nights there, still does amazing things. And yeah, I added that line in that night because that happened and it yeah. went off it got a huge reaction because everyone had clearly noticed that this guy yeah. had been he'd been hassling as well as like when can I go up I'd like to go up soon and they'd be like you'll go up when it's your turn kind of yeah, thing yeah 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 so, so yeah having a track that you could just adapt to what's going on in the news that day or literally in the room that yeah. that that moment but Dan heard perfect. this before no, he hadn't can you remember the first time you put that to music? And, and tell me about that process. You know, so much of your working relationship, we'll, we'll get onto it a bit later, but initially with Thou Shout, was it another, he sent you the beat, right, I'm going to record it my end, or did you go into a studio together? Or He sent me the beat, and, and, and this became an issue down the line, because he'll send me a beat, I'll love it, and record and send it back, and it'll be done. And he's like, that was like an idea. Like that was a sketch of a beat. Yeah. You're not meant, I was just saying what you think. He learned to only send me stuff that he felt was in some way finished because I'd just be like, this is amazing. So he sent me the beat for Thou Shout. I loved it. I went upstairs immediately and started recording it in my, in my bedroom at my mum's house. So I had th- three mattresses at that mm-hmm. point on the floor because I was a little punk kid. Yeah. Um, and I'd make a little studio with that. So I'd do my three mattresses. I'd put a towel over the top. I had a step ladder, and not my real ladder, that I, I taped a microphone to yeah. as a mic stand. And that's where I recorded Thou Shout. I came up with the Just a Band bit kind of in the moment. Yeah, I emailed it back to him. And we can, if I go on my phone now, I can get the exact amount of time that took because he emailed that to me. And the, and, the, and then he put on the film 40-Year-Old Virgin. And when it finished, I emailed him back with what became the first version of Thou Shout that got, Uploaded on the MySpace and got loads of listens and all that kind of thing. I mean, that's DIY as fuck. <laughs> Proper DIY. And I mean, financially, that's a pretty cheap record, isn't it? <laughs> it's a really cheap record, but also it's a record that you don't realise anyone's ever going to hear. Yeah. Like, I've heard that certain people in Hollyoaks got quite offended by, by that. <laughs> and I don't want to offend anyone in Hollyoaks. Yeah. It was just, it worked at the time because my mum was really into Hollyoaks. Yeah. But... It's, it was on so regularly that if she needed to catch up and she had like a week's worth, she'd watch it on fast forward to get the idea <laughs> and then move on to the next episode, which kind of said as much as I, it needed to me about the artistic value of it at the time. Yeah, but essentially Dan and Pip are just a band as well, aren't yep, they? Yeah. Like... Yep. So we were just, yeah, we were dicking about. And yeah, it's there's loads of stuff in that that people are like, oh, yeah, but... Uh, do it, it's always made me uncomfortable when people are like, "Oh, I live by that." It's like, "Oh, you shouldn't, mate." It took yeah. me it <laughs> not a lot of thought went into it, and also the fact that in, I put some intentional contradictions in there because the last line—I mean, the easiest one—is that it's a three-minute song telling you what to do, and then the last line is that I think for yourselves. Yeah. So th- that should give you a clue that it's it's meant to be kind of contradicting. But I remember, like, when it 
blew up. We had some reviewers like, oh, fucking you start by praising Johnny Cash and these people and then say you shouldn't put bands on pedestals and yeah, and so on and so forth. And it's like, yeah, all right. Or that was the one. Dash not you think guns, bitches and bling are part of the four yeah. elements or, or whatever the line is. I don't know the line anymore. And then someone would be like, yeah, but Johnny Cash always used to talk about guns. So, yeah, all right. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> I'll have to delete the song now. Yeah, it was it was so throwaway and in the moment, and then obviously it changed absolutely everything. Were you aware that you you know both of you had, had created something a bit special? Not really. It felt it was working at, at poetry nights. Yeah. Like at that point, my normal poetry set was thou shout angles. And letter from God to man. Okay, Solid which set. which now looking back is like this this amazing yeah. this 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 hit set. And yeah, they were, were were working in that context, but didn't know how they'd work on record as such. And again, sure. particularly with our shout being the one that blew up, you couldn't have predicted it in any way. It's why we didn't have anyone. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 why we came out of nowhere because no one would expect a three and a half half, half minute song that's got probably a minute long outro yeah. at least. Hasn't got a chorus yeah. or verses. Yeah. It's just a rant. It's, it's got the just a band bit, but that only happens once. So I guess yeah. it's not a chorus, no. really. It didn't have anything that would suggest radio will go for this or Completely. the public will go for this. So it was me s- s- sending a, s- a CDR of it to John Kennedy. Yeah. Him playing it that night and it becoming like one of the most requested songs or inquired about s- s- songs on on his show's history. But again, even that, it, it's a warped perception. The reason it was the most inquired about was because no one knew where the fuck we were. Like, we yeah. literally hadn't been played anywhere. So yeah. it's not like The Strokes. You have a Strokes song, and it was like, oh, yeah, I love The Strokes. The, that shout comes on, and you're like, who and what and where? Yeah. How has this happened? Yeah. Because it was just in my bedroom at my mum's. <laughs> when it did explode like that, what... And and it did feel as somebody that 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 knew Dan, uh, and and obviously I, I knew he was. We'd seen each other around. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd been to the clubs and stuff. Yeah, you um, didn't like me. No. Um, <laughs> and it did explode. Yeah. What sort of conversations were you and Dan having at this point? Like, were there like what the fuck conversations? Just exciting. It was like this is cool. Like we we had labels to talk to. We had managers to talk to. We had all sorts of stuff, and there wasn't a lot of thought or conversation that goes into it. I think the interesting part, I guess, is we were suddenly thrown into a partnership that we maybe hadn't really thought about. And I think all through our relationship, there's been points, as again, you'll talk to any band who's toured together a lot, there'll be points of real conflict. And I think that was an interesting and daunt, like it was kind of ever, ever. Present again, like we spoke on the. I don't know in what order these will go out, but we we spoke about me being a laid back person. Yeah, I think that helped a lot because Dan was at times quite confrontational. Sure, and there was a period where we'd do interviews, but yeah, because their shout had blown up, and there was a period where we'd do interviews about how we met, and we'd do a thing of making up stories. So we'd Dan would say that his mum gave my mum a kidney, mm-hmm. um, and and we met in the, uh, and we met at the hospital. But then there was times he'd kind of drift some truth in there and he'd kind of say, well, we'd kind of known of each other over the years. There were some points where there was some possible crossover with with girlfriends. And there was always a lot of hinting that he'd slept with at least one or two people that I'd been going out with while I was going out with them. But I'm someone, again, who's like, all in the past, but let's not 
get into it because it will just it'll eat me up and it, or, or it will cause tension. Yeah. So I'm still not 100% sure <laughs> how much of that is true, how much was implied. But again, it was part of Dan's confrontationalness and, and, yeah. and edginess. And, and you've got no one else because essentially bands, when you yeah. experience this for the first time and it's all, like you say, management, looking for management, looking for labels and they're well, not looking for them, they're coming looking for you at this point. When you're a band, there's normally four or five of you and you can, if that guy's pissing you off, go and go hang out the with other that one. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you two. Yeah. And so that's intense and like... Hugely intense. Uh, 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 we'll talk about ego and success and things like that a little bit further down the line, but would you lean on each other in those early moments like, of, of, of it starting to, you know, yeah. the hype happen? Yeah, 100%. I'd, again, what you've got to remember is I came into this as a Dan Lassac fan. Yeah. You know, his... his I loved his his, his Lissac Say A Year album. He was very much someone I was excited to work with and looked up to. And then we got to do all these amazing things together. So now I had kind of a new power as such. Yeah. Like it was someone I'd known from around the way, yeah. but we're suddenly touring together and having... We, we got thrust together as well. Amazing times, yeah. And like. it was, again, I felt... Again, I don't want that to sound as if it's a, a negative. I felt incredibly lucky to be thrust together because sure. it was... He is fucking good at what he does, and we had amazing times. Like, although I said there was probably some tensions and confusion, and not sure. Ninety nine percent, particularly in those early days, yeah. was just how cool is this? Like, that, we're getting that, to go out and party and do gigs, and but that's blowing every up. friendship, relationship, working environment. That yeah. that's just part of it. Yeah. You, you spoke about doing amazing things. What was the first real wow moment when the hype kicked? for you and Dan that you remember experiencing together? I'll give a couple here because okay. initially just any gig, like the first couple of gigs we did as Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip. Where were they? So in Reading, I remember we did one with Clark. Are you familiar with Clark, the producer guy? He was, I think he might have been on Warp at the time, but it was like a, a glitchy a producer guy, a really good. And we played with him again. It was the early gigs was stuff that just either Dan's mates were putting on or he was putting on in Reading. It was in like an, it was fucking creepy. It was a venue that was in like an industrial estate kind of thing. So you yeah. just go in the dark to this, was it the box or something like that? And yeah, we did a gig and we'd never really practiced together. Like we'd practice separately in my car beforehand. We'd, we were kind of going over it all and planning it all. And because I had stuff from the spoken word gigs, so for angles, I'd always ch- change costumes. And for Thou Shout, I'd have the big, big yeah. book. I had that stuff. Or, or, or maybe I got it. F- for me and Dan but either way I'd, I'd prepped so we'd have a bit of a show and I remember the first I don't know if that was our first gig but that's the one I remember of going oh wow that like, it worked yeah we did it and people liked it some people knew a few of the songs yeah. and we had a handful of songs at that point so uh, so that was one that was like this is fucking easy yeah <laughs> we've never we've never practiced this is probably our first ever gig and we've got adoring fans yeah it's all going off. So, so, so yeah, th- that stands out massively. But then the first time we did the Camden Crawl and we were doing, not the Underworld, the Camden. Forum. Uh, no, the Barfly. Barfly. We're doing the Barfly and we're upstairs and we look out. And the Camden Crawl is one of them ones where you don't buy a ticket. You've got a wristband. So people just queue up and the amount of people who can get in can get in. And we looked out and we had a queue a queue around the block. We were like, oh, shit this is fucking, this is cool. And then, yeah, it was at absolute capacity. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it felt as if this is this is going somewhere. Well, I guess 
I've worked with you over various projects and, and, and bits and pieces for, for probably 12 years. And I, I know for a fact that you're a very laid back, calm person. Yeah. Tell me about how you would deal with those, those early moments where there, there was disagreements. You know, was there any disagreements or, he, you know, more heated arguments in the, and I'm not fishing for gossip, but no, like in, in those sure, yeah. uh, uh, early sort of moments on the back of the success of Thou Shalt, like, was there any moments where you just thought, oh, this is this is getting awkward? There were and there weren't, okay. you know. As I said, because of my laid-back n- n- nature, 99% of the time, I ain't looking to argue. Sure. If Dan wants to do something a specific way, I'll say that I think maybe we should do this or maybe we should go there. Was you always comfortable, like, approaching him then on the strength of, like, if a beat come through that you weren't feeling... Was was it always an open enough relationship yeah, to go? Yeah. Oh, I'm not feeling that one completely, and, and vice Com- versa. Completely, he'd fire me a load of stuff. Like he'd slave over like twelve beats, and I'd come back with one going, "I love this beat," and not thinking to say, "How about the rest of them?" Yeah. <laughs> it's probably heartbreaking, but um, and equally, he was really amicable on things like f- fixed and letter from God to man. I had specific ideas in mind for the beat because yeah. fixed is fix up, look sharp. It's kind of a cover. Mm-hmm. And, and Letter from God to Man, I had that Radiohead sample in mind as being the thing. So Dan isn't really a sampling guy. Mm. He's a create his own stuff. So, But particularly Letter from God to Man, look at what he did with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's one of the best. Incredible. Beat-wise and, tra- and track-wise, it's one of his best bits of work. So, yeah, it was always all good on that. And, um, yeah, I think it, the, there wasn't a lot of conflict in those early days, you know, because it was just, this is mad that this is happening. Like, we're getting... To, to do this particularly Dan as someone who'd been slaving at stuff for far longer than me yeah. with mixed levels of reaction to suddenly have something that felt quite easy to both of us yeah. like we've not got tons of unused ideas and demos yeah. we kind of would go you got a beat alright I've, I've got a lyric right there's another one and that was our albums <laughs> or for me anyway I, I didn't have loads of unused ideas and, uh, you know, I want to talk about signing the Sunday best. Mm-hmm. But a- ahead of that, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Tell me about the financials. Was it something that was agreed that it would be 50-50? Yeah, pr- pretty much. That was f- the outlook from the start, I think. Yeah. I always knew on the on the financial side, Dan was taking a far bigger risk than me. I'd quit my job. I was doing this. He had a good, good well-paid job in like, um, I'm sure it was in marketing or advertising. He was doing... A graphic design and stuff so it was a bigger deal for him to go yeah. right well this is our life now because i was like well I've got, i ain't got i ain't got nothing else yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm living in a van or at my mum's house so yeah. <laughs> but but yeah that was always agreed i remember we had one meeting we almost signed to xl when they had jack and adele because we did a lot of gigs with jack Penyate, adele a lot of that crowd i want to do another episode where we talk about the, about those, the scene those, that scene and yeah. those, those early uh, early gigs there's and, some and amazing the people, people in there. Were, were floating about then because it's a it's quite a list but yeah because of all of that we were in with XL and they kind of asked Richard Russell was like Adele is Adele she's working with other people but Adele is Adele and Jack is Jack would you be okay with it being Scroobius Pip rather than 
Daniel Sack versus Scroobius question. Bit. That was literally my next um, question. Was there talk of that? So there was. That's what he asked. And Based on you the, being the front man. Yeah, on me being the front man and, again, it being easier. It's a yeah. long, unwieldy name. It's a, and, and our band name is a sentence. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a lot. And he said the producer just generally isn't listed in the... Sorry, so it was it just... You'd, you'd perform... As, as a duo, as Scroobius Pitt, not as Scroobius Pitt versus Dan LaSac. No, no, that's what he was asking. So we'd do the album as Scroobius Pitt. It'd be produced by Dan LaSac. Oh, okay. Again, his argument was, look at the history of hip-hop. Yeah. Jay-Z has an album. It's produced by someone amazing yeah. and all this. It's like, that was his... And again, his examples were Adele and Jack Peñate, who were blowing up at the time. It's like, Jack's got a whole band. Adele, obviously can do it all acoustic, but it's got producers, all it sorts was, of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I said, he said examples of rap. It's generally the the rapper is who the album is by and the producer is in there, is getting their cut and their praise. And, and this is all being said in, in his office. How like, do you feel that? Thrown at us. It felt weird. And then I looked over his head and he had a big framed poster of Eric, of Eric B and Rakim. There you go. And I went, just kind of pointed out, I was like, Eric B and Rakim it doesn't make a difference it's not about that but we did have go away and have a think about it and have a chat and we decided to, that we wanted it to be Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip that's what we'd gone with again a large part of that was I keep going back to it but I approached this as just a Dan Lassac fan sure. so the fact that I'm getting to go on with him yeah. despite me being the front man or whatever yeah. now it's still it's very much a collaboration but yeah we had a conversation about it and we decided to stand our ground. I think XL pulled out their interest before we had to make a hard decision on Oh, okay. It. I think they moved on and said, no, we're not going to go with it. So I don't think we had to go. But again, everything that we discussed was like, no, this is what it is. It's a 50-50 collaboration. And again, I think we'll get in, in later on. I think that stuff, maybe in at the front, did cause conflict yeah. that, down the line. But yeah, we'll get on to all that, I'm sure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One of the other things that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like you took a bit more of a creative lead on uh, was the videos. Yeah. So what what kind of discussions were you and Dan having in regards to you potentially co-directing? Can, can we say that? And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be more involved. Yeah, hundred percent. Again, it was all there weren't big discussions. It was just particularly as I'd written the lyrics. I'm quite a visual person, so I'd say, "Oh, I've got this idea." Like. 
Thou Shout was all Nick through. Amazing director. I might have thrown in a few ideas, but he came up with all of it. And then the more he did, the more I was like, here's my idea for this one. Here's what I think we should do. And so the beat of my heart skipped and and things like that. And a Look for the Woman was, again, mostly his idea, but then I'd throw things in. And, and Nick kind of took me aside and said, look, you, you should direct some videos at some point because... You're coming up with, yeah, or you're 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 wanting to have a lot of input, and in a, f- a friendly way. It wasn't in a leave me to do my art. It's yeah. like you're clearly excited about this and have a lot of ideas and lo- yeah. a, a, a lot to say. But yeah, I think that did again. That hit a wall. I I would say the biggest period of conflict, and again, there wasn't even any big stories or gossip to tell. I'm, but I'm I'd not say, searching for one because no, you're I'm, my friends. Yeah, um, but no, again, it's worth. I think it's all all good to 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 talk about and discuss. I think I would say the biggest period of conflict was around our second album. And at that point, Dan and our manager at the time both said, look, we're blowing up. I think we should get other people to, to take the lead on the videos now. And that, that I should I should step back a bit on that. And again, I was like, all right, cool. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this. So completely understand that. And then that turned around again on the last album, because in between, I directed or co-directed all, all my solo ones and they'd gone down well. So, yeah. I, I, I want to sort of wind it back just a, a little bit more. And, and just on that first tour, like that first sort of proper tour, did you have any sort of, or, or did excitement overall everything or did you have apprehensions about, okay, so I've now got to get in a van with this guy that I don't necessarily know really well and travel around the country with him, and, yeah. and you know, what apprehensions did you have at, at, at that point? I think at that point, excitement overruled everything because yeah. again, it's like I'm getting to do my. I'm not having to work in an office. Yeah. I'm getting to go and do music. It's and, essentially like going on holiday with your girlfriend for the first time, isn't it? Are yeah. we, we going to get through this fortnight? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and again, at that point, a, a lot of a lot of those early years, they weren't proper tours. It was like. Mm. We'll drive here and then we'll drive home the same night, or we'll do a couple of things here and and things like that. So yeah, I yeah I wouldn't say there was anything. Just caught up in the excitement of the hype over their shout, and then the album coming out and the excitement of the, the, of their shout not being a, f- a flash in the pan, and in my opinion, not even being the best song on the record. Like because that yeah. was it. A song like that comes out out of nowhere. It's got novelty written all over it 100%. because it was so unlike anything yeah. else. It's why we took our time on the album despite having all sorts of offers kind of th- th- thrown at us and it's it's why as you i mean you said we're going to get to it it's why we ended up on sunday best because we were talking to emi to sony to warner to loads of big labels and we were getting advice off off, off rob the bank at points to say here's what they've put in the contract or here's what they're offering is that good or bad because rob had played us on the radio and had put on some some gigs and asked us to play and we felt we trusted him and it felt like sunday best were up for us making our record and then them releasing it whereas a few of the others seemed like they were like here's what we see for you here's where we think you should go but not as simple as that either again of my clearest memories was thinking all the indie labels we're going to meet are going to get it and all the majors aren't yeah and when we sat down with a guy was it sony or universal i can't remember it was a publishing one and he got all the references, all the background stuff on all the different tr- tracks that, at that point with demos and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's not like he just Googled it and yeah. gone, all right, I'll try and impress them. He really got it. So that was a weird, yeah, a weird time. I remember being in with the head of Warner and we'd arranged, like we'd been talking to him back and forth for a bit. And we said, look, before we agree to anything, like we want to meet 
the main man, like to see that this is being taken seriously because the fear of majors, as we saw with numerous people in the scene, like Kate Nash and others, the fear of majors is they grab you and then you get swallowed up in their long list of priorities. And he sat us down and we had this good meeting. He's, the first thing that, that got me was he said, you guys into Lincoln Park? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, not so much, man. But again, he saw some elements of Lincoln Park in what we do, which is all right, well, I don't, but all right. And then we had that meeting and then I went home. I'm sure it was that same night. And the, um, whose documentary was it? There was a documentary of a boy band re- reuniting. Was it five, maybe? There's a massive take that one. A take that? No, no, it wasn't. And then it was an E17 one. one that, E17. That happened a little while it might have after. been the E17 one. It was, it was the documentary of one of the boy bands, and they were in his office. Ah, uh, that the was E17 one. E17 one. And he was saying, like, you're the best thing. And it's like, it felt like this was exactly the stuff he was saying to us. And with the greatest respect, we're nothing like E17. Mm. So, yeah. That made us go, nah, this ain't the one. Again, tons of money on the on on the yeah. table. At, at that point, labels were offering over a hundred grand. It was just when Hadouken had just mm-hmm. got that big deal for like half a million or some mm-hmm. shit. And we were in that kind of group as well, mm-hmm. with your Hadoukens and your Does It Offend You Yeah and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of crowd. So yeah, there was a lot of money being talked about. And again, we had to take that into consideration because as I said, Dan was walking away from a full-time job. Sure. I could be the artist and go, let's do yeah, let's yeah, go yeah. with this but it's like no we have to talk about this this correctly so yeah we did and we decided that Sunday Best were the best place for us because they were really wanted to make let us make our record and then you know push it as best they can that first tour did you feel like you've got to know each other well yeah on that yeah and and Salman Jim yep <laughs> Sorry, I have to remember there was three in the van, wasn't there? Someone's got to drive. Yeah, so Jim, and on that tour, we again, it was all the, I'd say Dan put up with a lot in those days of just my artistic ideas. Like I'd be like, I think we should have like a a living room on stage. Yeah. And and we went to charity shops and bought a load of furniture and made a living room on stage. Well, well, let's talk a little about that then, because when, when you go on tour, and you're doing these shows every night. There's so many things that are in the, the, the mix of that. There's ego, there's pressure, there's drinking, there's sleep, there's routine. Mm-hmm. They're all ingredients to test every possible partnership. Mm-hmm. What were the most testing for you? And what do you think were the most testing for Dan? I think what became testing for Dan, more when the album came out, I think, was, as you say, if there's a six foot four bearded bloke at the front, that's going to take your attention a bit. Mm-hmm. And again, I was really aware of that. I'd make sure, as an example, and Letter From God To Man, I'd always either be off stage or sit at the side of the stage when Dan's doing his thing. Because it was like, as someone from around here, Bulldog was, would made a trend at the time of just tweeting and saying he's, he's playing f- a football manager <laughs> because he'd be on stage with his laptop and he's doing yeah. so, so much. So I'd kind of, I'd consciously want to make sure people can tell that that Dan's doing everything. Yeah. And again, I think that maybe played on his mind a bit. I think at times he made it harder for himself than he had to, like setup wise, because he wanted to prove he was doing shit because sure. he's not got some decks back there. So if you've not got decks, people will just think, oh, he's pressing play. Sure. And he wasn't, he was doing so much stuff there. So I think that maybe played into it. Alcohol, definitely. Again, both of us would drink a fair bit because of nerves initially, I yeah. think. The schedule as well. Like we were just any gig that came in. Yep, hundred percent. Like we wanted to get really good, really quick. Mm. 
And I think we did that. I think yeah. we achieved that. That's by, the only way you do that as well. Yeah, we gigged constantly, small mm. gigs, big gigs, in my van, in the van, with Salman Jim, however it works, we mm. were up for it. Dan started that period in a bad relationship as well, so that probably didn't help things. Yeah. It didn't end that relationship in the best way, but that was down to drink and ego and yeah. other things as well yeah. played into that. But then he was in a good relationship for a, yeah. a period at least. So, yeah, that was all good. See, see, I guess all those things can play into it, but on the UK period of this, it was just... A dream, in my yeah. opinion. We're living our dream. Like we're getting to do these gigs that everyone's just going cr- crazy for it. I'd only done maybe three gigs before becoming Scroobius Pips. So in other bands as a yeah. bassist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd had the ups and downs of just being absolute heaven to absolute dog shit. Yeah. So yeah, it was a dream. It wasn't until the American tour that I feel that got really testing. Because again, as you say, it's only the two of us. You're going to have a tour manager you've not met. You're away from all your friends and family. Yeah, and there were points on that tour where things got tense and it felt like... But but again, I think that was off the back of I was getting an awful lot of praise for um, um, my lyrics. Largely, Thou Shout and Let From God To Man were getting a lot of praise lyrically. And anyone who pays any attention will, will know that the production on both of those tracks is fucking key sure. to how, particularly on Let From God To Man, to how I grand it all sounds. That's so much down to Dan. But if you're writing a quick article or whatever else, it's going to be about this track about God. Yeah. So I think that started to to play on Dan's mind a bit. Let, let's not take emphasis off the fact that it, it, it should be written about uh, as well, because it is the lyrics are amazing. I'm not just saying it's just sitting opposite yeah. me, but <laughs> it, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it worked, but yeah, that was the weird thing of, I guess that may be an issue then, the fact that these are lyrics that were written to stand up on their own, because these were all sp- sp- spoken word pieces. Yeah. So the production is going to elevate it, but they're going to stand up on their own as well. So that's that's going to be where it might be a bit yeah. a bit more confusing. But yeah, I'm trying to think of when the tour of America was. I think it was on the first album still. But yeah, we really started to have conflict there. And it was always, again, because we get on, it was always kind of more passive aggressive, you know? And I remember the one time we kind of talked about it, we were playing somewhere or other. We'd had a nightmare. Dan had sacked our tour manager because they had they had batted heads too much. So we're in the middle of this tour. Thank God for, for, for B. Dolan, who we'd met on that tour. He was our support act. We'd never met him before. He was part of the, the Strange Famous family. He could take over on the drive-in because he had a license out there, all this kind of thing. But yeah, we were having a bit of a nightmare. So there were some kind of crunch talks going on between Sage and the label and me and Dan. And Dan replied to one of them in a passive-aggressive kind of snarky way. And at that point, I just went into the room. Like, we were in separate rooms or whatever, and I went and said, like, like what's good kind of thing? Like, like, is there an issue? Because, again, it's as you know, all of those things, if they're, they're left under the surface, it's going to be a nightmare. But, yeah, I remember hating that tour. And, again, not particularly because of Dan, just because of everything that was, was going on. Yeah. It wasn't good. Again, Dan didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm not saying it was purely a Dan thing, but... I wrote and I've, I've I've got it somewhere. I wrote a draft of an email retiring, yeah, and quitting. I I literally typed it all out, <laughs> saying the guilt I felt that I was out here living the dream that all my mates who still work in HMV or wherever else would l- love to be doing, and I'm miserable. Do you think Dan was the same? 
I think so. I think there was some uh, some issues there. Again, it's tough. I don't. I, it's hard. F- f- I can't tell Dan's story as such. Sure. So I'm sure there were some some conflicts and issues. As I said, that what we've talked about s- since is that there was a yeah. There was. I've always said. I don't think I've ever s- s- said it to Dan. I think that whilst we didn't necessarily personally fall out much, I think going into the second album, I was as bigger Dan Lassac fan as I'd ever been because he's fucking killed the first album. The beats he was making for this were amazing. And I think going into the second album, he wasn't particularly a Scroobius Pip fan okay. at that point. That was just, was just the personal vibe I got. I felt, and again, it could be oversensitivity to maybe some ideas I put forward that got knocked back sure. or whatever, but that was the vibe I got going into that album. Whereas... On the last album, I repent. It felt as if we'd both got back to being just fans of each other. Well, before we get to that album, yes. In between that, mm-hmm. you both released solo records. Yeah. So, what was the discussions? Was that something that come off the back of it had been a, a, a testing tour, and you know, like, where, where where do I go with this? It was a weird one, you know, because again, I, it, it goes back to also the fact that we never had a discussion about being a band. Really, it just kind of all happened and continued on, and I had. Stuff I wanted to do again, as we talked about in the, the school issue, I, I wanted to do stuff that was a bit hard and punky yeah. and 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 what, punky. That sounds so shit. It's a, it's a bit punky. <laughs> it's a bit punky. Um, I like you. You're punky. Um, basically, essentially, at that point, I'd had a few different ideas of directions of tracks I wanted to do that Dan wasn't into. Yeah, and that was absolutely fair enough. I think also, yeah, Dan had done a record with this girl called Kid A, mm-hmm. who came on to, who, who sung on a, a second re- record as well. They had done a record together, which I thought was fantastic. And again, it was that realisation that we were getting more and more, as we've discussed on Drunk Casts and stuff, it's so weird that I ended up, up doing music that could come under the dance mm-hmm. category in some festivals, mm-hmm. like we'd be in dance tents sometimes, because dance was the one g- 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 genre as a kid I could not get into at all. Yeah. Like, Dan Lassac was my introduction to to, uh, to dance music. It yeah. wasn't the Chemical Brothers sure. or whoever else. It was going, oh, I like what he does. Is that dance? All right, well, I'm into that. So, yeah, I think the second album went even more in, in that direction, which, again, was fine, and I loved it. But I was like, I want to do something that's more the music I'm properly into. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, I started I started hitting people. I, I mentioned it to Dan. I said there's – like I'd sent a few things that he wasn't into. I was like, oh, I might make these as a little – I might do an EP or whatever else. And then, yeah, in that period, it was off the back of that, of touring. And I, yeah, I think we did tour our asses off and probably needed a break from touring in general, but also from each other, I guess. And yeah, I made the solo record expecting it to be a little, fling this out and then then get back to the the real job. Yeah. The the day job with Dan. And it went down, it it blew up. So that kind of, but again, it's, it's, I'm pretty sure as soon as we were, as soon as that album was out and I was touring, me and Dan were still going back and forth on, on beats and tracks and yeah. stuff like that. And he was working on his on his, his solo records, Space Between the Words. So you come back and make a third record. Yeah. Commercially, the most successful as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not many bands get to do that. That's no, incredible. Madness, isn't it? When you're having the conversations Post-solo records, I know you said that you were still kind of throwing beats to each other and you, you decided to make a, a, another record. Was it ever discussed that it was going to be the last? It must have been. 
we'd originally done a three album deal and essentially at that point no one who we'd come up with everyone would get a three album deal no one who we'd come up with had got to do three albums Kate had been been dropped by a label Adele releases in big gaps as we've seen because she's arguably one of the greatest artists in British history it's a fair play to her Jack had done like two albums and then changed his direction and what he wanted to do completely so yeah i think it was just exciting to go oh we're going to get to complete our record deal because that (laughs) doesn't happen a lot but at some point we we must have discussed it because i know on the tours and everything it was all established and announced that this was it at least for now i'd decided i was done with it done with music yeah for for the time being at least when you tour a lot, you meet a lot of bands and I'd met a lot of bands who didn't really enjoy it anymore. And I really enjoyed the gigs. Again, I didn't enjoy all all of the touring. Sometimes it was a nightmare, but I enjoyed all the gigs. And I was like, I don't want to get to the point where I don't enjoy them anymore. I'd rather draw a line underneath it. And again, I'd say, yeah, initially it was, I thought it'd probably be a year or two. And then I'd maybe come back. I wanted to break the cycle. You get in the habit. And again, it feels as if I'm I'm, sh- I'm sh- 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 shitting on our second album. I, there's loads of songs on that I really like, yeah. but it felt like there was that process of you do the album, you tour it, you've got a festival season, you, you maybe tour it again, and then you need the next album, tour it. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a cycle. And I was like, I want to write because, and there's also always the imposter syndrome of literally every album I've ever f- finished, I've gone, can't believe I got away with that. I've not got any other ideas. That's all my ideas gone. Mm -hmm. And that happened after the first record and every record. So there's a little bit of that as well of going, no, really, I'm scraping the barrel now. (laughs) I don't know where you will see me came from, but that was one of my proudest bits of writing. And that was the last track on the album. And I was like, and the last track I wrote because the album was was done at that point. And then we added that. That's a track to battle. We added that right at the end. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to get yeah. <laughs> anywhere near that. I think again. that's a really healthy thing, though. To 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 that imposter syndrome, I think's healthy. Mm. I think it's, and I do think coming from sort of the areas and backgrounds that we come from, we always, I think, feel like this could all end now, mm. and then it's like back to a factory or you know back to a you know a, a nine to five that you know I don't really want to do. Back to H and V. It was uh, always uh, yeah. back to H and V in my head. That was always the. It's going to happen. So, I mean, we, we, you know, you talked about that being the last track. I want to now, I mean, b- before we get on to the, like, the, the, the last ever show and things like that, did, did Dan ever talk to you about plans, you know, when you've made the decision that that was going to be it and you're going to do these last, you know, last show and stuff? And did Dan ever talk about his plans to you post Dan versus Pip? Uh, not, not massively. I think he, he it's said he still plans to make stuff and do stuff. Again, even though... As I said, I think the third album was our best artistically at points, our best personally, mm-hmm. on the making of it at least. The last tour or so, Dan was in a bad place, I yeah. think, and there were some points where there was it was uncomfortable. But again, it wasn't unbearable. It wasn't anything, you know, outrageous. Again, I've not mm-hmm. got any crazy stories. Um, I wish I did, I'd share them. But um, yeah, it felt like that was a real strong point, but I also felt that Dan's they all felt that they wanted to do stuff that wasn't under the shadow of of me sure. kind of thing or or stuck to his his here's the lyric guy yeah um yeah 
I guess that was it, it. It felt like he needed to to go and do more stuff, and he's done again since then. He's done loads of amazing stuff. He's talked about doing stuff under another name purely for that, so he can have his stuff that's not got me on judged for him rather than Absolutely. people always going, "Oh, you should get Pip on this," or yeah. "Or are you going to do any more stuff with Pip?" And again, we've both had that as yeah. as we've talked about and joked about a load in the past. I could post that I've won an Oscar yeah. and people would be like, oh, you don't doing anything soon. <laughs> so, so again, that's kind of what we're, but again, it's a beautiful th- thing as well, man. I think we've, we've both had our ups and downs on that on feeling that that's a great thing and feeling that that's a massive weight around our necks kind of thing. But yeah. Talk me through both moments, both just before you walk out on stage for the last ever gig. Yeah. And then when you walk off stage after the last ever gig. I mean, they were both, it was just hugely emotional. It was announced as our last ever gig. It was It was at Bestival. Rob the Bank was going to introduce us. So before we're going out, it's his festival. He's there. He's Rob. He's been there from the early days. And yeah, it's it's mad. It's really emotional. It felt great though, because it felt like a choice. It yeah. felt like, again, it felt like... I, I love the fact that we knew what this, everyone knew what the deal was there. Mm-hmm. It's not this. Oh, it turns out that was our last gig. Everyone in the crowd knew, or a lot of them anyway. Yeah. So yeah, and then then Rob goes out, obviously gets a huge reaction. It's his festival, mm-hmm. and he introduces us, and we got a massive reaction. And then we played a gig that was the easiest gig you'll ever play because everyone's so on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is a breeze, and we'd been doing it for a long time. Then we knew all the songs so well. So like, this is easy. And then coming off stage, I'm, I'm starting to feel emotional now, but m- my favourite thing on our gigs, regardless of the, oh, I get to do a spoken word piece and everyone thinks I'm so deep, or or more, it was often if I've got bits I've written in that are fast raps or intricate, yeah, nailing yeah, them yeah, yeah. felt good because I felt like I proved myself as an MC. M- my favourite bit of almost every gig was coming off stage at the end when Dan does the cut up of Letter from God to Man, we'd yeah, always yeah, end yeah. on Letter from God to Man and the live version. At that point, he was going into like a prodigy track. He was going into so much stuff. And my favourite bit was always a deep a breath of, of, of relief. I didn't fuck anything up. Yeah, it's all it's all happened. It worked. It's over. I can relax. I'm kind of out of view, so I don't have to feel conscious anymore of mm-hmm. oh, I've got spit in my beard or yep. or whatever else. And I could just enjoy just watching Dan cut it up and watching the crowd just go absolutely yeah. nuts. Because that cut up, has said, like, you've seen it numerous times. Yeah, it's, yeah, of course, yeah. It's fucking amazing. I've never seen it not go off. Yeah. So on the last one, man, that was just to come off. Again, also have that feeling of pride. It's like, well, of we've done that and they've all loved it. Yeah. But then to stand there and watch Dan just d- doing his thing. And again, him doing that as well, there's something you never see him more relaxed or happy or himself you know yeah. what i mean like hunched over and his yeah. feet are going he's having a dance as well he's showboating it it's glorious uh, as i see yeah, that initial bit of like wow and then the backstage was you know predictably awkward <laughs> of two blokes going oh that was cool wasn't it and not wanting to get over emotional yeah, 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 yeah. not knowing how to express things yeah as said also there would this was it was a few months on but this was off the back of a tough tour where yeah I'd stopped drinking completely. Yeah. And Dan hadn't. Yeah. So just even if you're the best friends in the world, that's going to be a weird course balance, you yeah. know, because I'm just back in bed every night and everyone yeah. else is, everyone's a bit pissed. 
so, so, so yeah, it was kind of like, wow, here we go. And Rob was there and Sarah from Sunday Best and my, and my parents were in the crowd, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was madness. And then I had to go and host spoken word at the amphitheatre. <laughs> so literally we did all of that. And I was like, all right, I'm off, lads. Uh, <laughs> we've had our emotional moment. I think that helped. I think it helped having something else to go and do. So yeah. it wasn't just this kind yeah. of weird, shit, it's over. Yeah. It was straight on to the next thing as such. I mean, you've always been massively, from where I see it, massively supportive of everything Dan's done during yeah. and, and, and since Dan versus Pip as well. Yeah. What changes have you noticed? Before as well, prior. Because that was the thing that's, that was one of the best things of ending our career was I can go, go back to ju- just being a Dan Lassac fan. I don't have to be part of it or, or feeling like I'm infringing on it or, well, do you know what I mean? That's kind of where I want to sort of start to wrap it up then because like, you know, what changes have you noticed in your friendship since wrapping up the band, not having those pressures of, of working together or depending on each other mm. for anything? Like, you know, you've done bits and pieces where you've, you know, reissued records and things like that collectively. And like, you know, how, how's yours and Dan's sort of friendship now without all of the kind of stresses of, of touring and all of that? I literally spoke to him yesterday because of a project we're working on that's yeah. not, not music based. Yeah. So don't, anyone listening, don't go over it. So, but yeah, it's great. I've loved getting to, as I said, return to the fan side of things. And like one of his, he did two soundtracks for Subcircular and something. I think that they had similar names, but one of them soundtracks is to these these games by, I think they were Mike, Mike Biffle ones. I remember just the like when one of them came out, I downloaded it at Lizards. Yeah. It was at Lizards. It was one where I was heading off because of an acting gig, I think. So I think I was. I had to drive to Wales. I had to do my set and then drive oh, to Wales. And driving through London with th- thunder and lightning and Dan's subcircular soundtrack was like, this is fucking. This is the the best music in the world. This mm. is the best production. And then yeah, the more like, I know a few things he's working on at the moment, and I chatted to him. We had a Zoom call while he was in America recently, and I came off of it beaming with pride and happiness for him because of a particular thing he's working on because it's like this is literally what he was made yeah to do it's it's another computer game thing but yeah so i I really enjoyed that particularly in the early days there were some tensions because when you've been away for a little while people will come in with big money offers for gigs and i was done i'm done done yeah yeah. like again i'm genuinely i talked to to polar bear about this sometimes of when we were both shit at spoken word, there was no one in the crowd. And the year or so it took us to get to become good performers, the crowd grew. I've now had so long off that I would be awful live. Like we started, like we talked about that shout earlier. I couldn't even remember the line. That's yeah. like our biggest song. I've played it yeah. thousands of times. Well, to go I, can't, full circle, I can't remember the line. It's that whole thing, isn't it? About we gigged and gigged and gigged and we got tight. We yeah. got good. And, yeah. and Whereas like, to come back now it's like what are we can do a month of, of rehearsals yeah, yeah. getting matched it's like nah I, I can't be I'm not it doesn't excite me in yeah. that way and a big thing I realised after stopping gigging that my excitement always came from showing everyone all this new stuff yeah. and what we have made together yeah um, and when I stopped wanting to write or having anything I felt I wanted to write about it was kind of like right I don't like the, the that realisation came when other people f- from the label had come over. So Sage would be over 
And I did some some stuff with Sage. But yeah, after that, other people would be over and they'd be like, oh, do you want to come up and do a song? Oh, I want to stand here and be a fan. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. need that pop of adrenaline of everyone going, oh my God, it's yeah. Pip. I was like, no, it's all, uh, 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 we've done that. So, so yeah, I always said I'd only come back if I did new music. And I always felt if I did new music, it'd be solo because I did two solo records mm-hmm. and three with Dan. And I like the idea of doing th- three and three job done but again even that just drifted away I was like oh, I've not got any desire to yeah. so yeah well I'm going to finish with uh, one more question and looking back over your eight years mm-hmm. as, as Dan versus Pip mad that it was only eight years isn't I it know. the amount that we got in there, I know <laughs> and, and that's great yeah. I want you to tell me the best memory that looking back on that time that you shared with Dan it's tough isn't it I, I, I really remember playing Halfway up a mountain in Japan, Fuji Rocks, which ironically isn't on Mount Fuji. It's another mountain. And at that point, like that was still quite early on in our career. And we had like probably a 45 minutes set. And uh, that gig made me realise how much of that relied on our our chat and banter with the crowd because we didn't have that many songs. (laughs) And we we finished the first song, cheer. And I'm like, what's up? And they just, just kind of stared. And I'm trying to chat and have interaction. And again, not being a naturally confident person, I remember just looking around at Dan like, help me, <laughs> can I kind of thing? And he just d- dropped the next beat and that set went from 45 minutes to about 30 minutes because I was like, you've got to save me here. Normally I can get yeah. a lot of the gig and get a lot of that. Again, our gigs were For about God's interaction. Sake, Dan, you just get your dick out? <laughs> just get it out quick. <laughs> um, yeah, so I remember that really clearly and Dan being a, a, a proper s- s- saviour there. But then, yeah, as I said, it's repeatedly, it's letter from God to man, uh, headlining a stage at Glastonbury and being at the side and watching him do that, headlining stages at Reading and Leeds, or specifically Reading, actually, because at Leeds, I dashed off to go and catch the end of Rage Against Machine. But at, at, <laughs> at, at Reading, again, just getting to stand back and watch that with that crowd that are so warmed up and fired up from the gig that we've done and just, just watching him build and build and go on and on. Yeah, repeatedly that... Coachella again, down inside stage, and there's like palm trees in the background, yeah. and there's this long run of people who are are all going nuts for it. So yeah, it'd be it'd be a kind of a rocky montage of Dan doing the outro of Let From God to Man <laughs> in all these these different locations, including like it meant the world to play like the the Paradiso in Amsterdam because it's like an iconic venue, and sure. doing Coco and Sh- Sh- Shepherd's Bush Empire and, and places like that. And then, yeah, all the festivals. Like there was one weird year at festival where we were on the main stage and for some reason the timings just lined up that we had, Rob reckoned, at least 30,000, maybe 20,000, 30,000 people all there because we were on the main stage and it happened that seemingly nothing else was on. And I remember that just being a sea of people in the daytime and Dan just cutting it up and everyone just, the rowdy bit at the front that's rammed and then just as far back as you can see, people in space just having a little dance and having a little boogie. So, yeah, I guess I'd go with that. Or maybe just the first time I saw his his dick at the bullseye. (laughs) Thanks, Pip. (laughs) I'll tell you what, that was... That was one of my faves. That one. It yeah. was. It was really nice to, to to get that little insight into what it was like because obviously, you know, I've been around you and I've been around you when you've been with Dan and obviously I've I've, I've 
done loads of bits and bobs over the years with Dan and spoke to him extensively on other podcasts. And, and it was really nice to kind of get that, that insight into what it was like being in, in a duo, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, being in a duo with someone, which is, is going to be intense. Yeah. And, yeah. And you know, Dan, Dan can be a very intense human being. Hundred percent. And as can you. Yeah. And so, you know, to be able to sort of handle that and and deal with that and and continue to sort of make it work. Yeah, it was really interesting to sort of find out how that works. My favorite part of reliving all of that was remembering the period that I became a Dan Lesac fan. Mm. Like I was before we even worked together, really, he, as 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 is all we've just discussed, but his his Lesac's Say Year album, I loved it. And then to come to the kind of the period now where I get to go back to being just a Dan Lesac fan rather yeah. than a collaborator anymore. And it's kind of, it's a, that's the beautiful part of the, yeah. of the journey there for me is that whole bit in the middle that he facilitated and was instrumental in some of my favourite memories yeah. that I'll ever have. But then also it's nice to have this kind of, yeah, that either side thing of that all happened and now I get to go back to just watching at a distance and going, fucking hell, he's good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll be back, obviously, next week. Next week's episode is playing live. Mm. So Dan Lesac will come up a bit in that, but there will also be a... I mean, you were reveling in in some of the stories of early bands and stuff that I had, because you had no idea. Yeah, that was sounded um, truly dreadful as yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So, yeah. We'll be getting into that next week. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.